Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform Podcast, sponsored by Traction Hypersonics and hosted by myself, James Gedd, and Paul Rogers. Warm welcome if it's your first time. Thanks to our, our regular listeners. Uh, we've got a lot of time and effort into creating this content. Uh, we'd love to ha- uh, keep this free and keep all these amazing guests coming. So you, you can help us, refer us to other people in your network, let them know we exist. We always want new listeners. Share our posts on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever you see them. And also, one of the biggest things you can do is rate us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen. It really helps boost our visibility. So thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy our latest episode. We got a cracking uh, topic today, building a CRO and testing into re-platforms and new technology releases to, to improve success. So this, uh, let me just quickly set this up. I'm going to introduce you to our guest today, Dave. But um, businesses often underestimate how useful client-side testing could be in refining the process, releasing new features and new platforms uh, before potentially you know, wasting a huge amount of time and money or getting like feature and um, prioritization wrong. And it's fascinating to see how consistently the desire to, to get products over the line um, you know, be proud of a new site, a new launch, can take the focus off like the customer experience piece, which can then compromise results. So our guest today knows how to help businesses fill the knowledge and skills gap to do this, uh, I guess, cost-effectively and sensibly. So we're going to be covering integrating testing into full site replatforms and new tech launches, sensible approaches to validating new sites, the role testing should play after launch, and how you can do things like run a proof of concept. So big welcome to to Dave Mullen, who's an independent CR, CRM consultant. Hey, Dave. How you doing, sir? Hi, James. Um, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, I really enjoyed it because we had a very brief LinkedIn discussion of a post I made about this, and, and it spun out an episode, and I think this is really valuable to businesses of any size. And I know you've got a lot of experience. You've got background working for well-respected analytics and optimization agencies like PRWD, AWA Digital. So do you want to just give people a bit of a flavor about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I think uh, I just checked on LinkedIn for the last 12 years. It looks like I've been focused on optimization, experimentation. Um, I've worked with companies like Canon, Interflora, Proteinworks, Mountain Warehouse, but also um, look involved with other things like institutions and charities like the University of London. Um, currently doing some work with the Teenage Cancer Trust. And um yeah the focus of my work is understanding users building experiments based on that understanding and over and over again finding out what works and and what doesn't work and i think at the core that process is about having the biggest impact in the most efficient way which uh um i think if you were to do some kind of character study is is very much uh, my my ballpark. So I'm a yeah I'm a big fan of the the process of testing, um, of finding out when I'm right, when I'm wrong, and uh, uh, being able to actually demonstrate the impact. And already a lot of the things you said, James, uh, resonate. People want to be proud of their sites and get them over the line. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to discussing today. Right. Um, and I'll ask the first question. So starting with the commercial imperative, um, why should businesses factor testing into launching new functionality or technology projects, be that, you know, a complete redesign or, you know, just launching like a new search solution, something like that? Sure. Um, yeah. Why, why should you use testing? Um, well, 
testing in itself is is just a process. It's just measuring the impact of one thing against another. So it can be really good. It can be a total waste of time. Um, but yeah, done well. I I would uh, I'd almost reframe the question to start with and say why on earth would business as usual be to make a big investment and just hope for the best um uh, but i guess taking a taking a step back as i say there's there's the process of testing um but around testing there's a i guess a discipline and an expertise that really goes hand in hand the the nature of testing is uh leads you to be about as user-focused as you can possibly be. Because you essentially you have to get on with people, but beyond that, your your results are judged by what users actually do. And um, so if you work in testing, then you you have to hone in on what really, really matters to people. And you have to be able to develop that into either spotting or designing changes that will not just matter to people, but matter enough to change their behavior in a measurable way to change conversion or progression or whatever your metric is by, you know, two, three, four percent. Um, and you have to also have to be really quite ruthless in identifying what, what's unlikely to move the needle. Um, so working in testing, there's, it's a process that naturally forces you to be incredibly laser focused on the things that are going to really make a difference because over and over again, you're going to measure that. And yeah, if you just keep getting caught up in buzzwords or things you've been reading about on LinkedIn or whatever, but they don't move the needle, then useful as it is to test and learn and find out what doesn't work. Uh, you're not going to be working in that field for very long. So um, if I was going to be making a, a big investment in a technology project, then I would absolutely want people who are in that specialism of saying, yeah, but what's going to affect my bottom line? And people who, who are in that feedback loop and it becomes refined over and over again of, does it affect, oh, I was wrong there, oh, I was right there. That moved it more than I expected. Thought that would be positive, but actually it was negative. So um, I would absolutely want to factor in both the people who were shaped by the process, but also the process itself. Um, it, yeah, it, it's a very big, big question. Why should we factor it in? But fundamentally, I'd say you want to factor in the expertise of what's going to affect your bottom line. And um, as much as possible, if you're making a big investment, that should be because you think it's going to have a big impact. Hopefully it's not just because it's shinier than the last thing. And if it is going to have a big impact, I've done enough testing to, to know that sometimes that's positive, sometimes that's negative, especially when it's new, because whatever your old project was, however, however dated or whatever it was, however much it maybe wasn't your cup of tea. It was at least out there in the wild and people were getting through it and it had had its rough edges rounded off. So um, if you're going to make a big investment, then 
to me, it'd be almost madness to to not find out what its impact is and position yourself to either pull back and fix or double down and maximize the impact as, as much as possible. That makes sense. And um, I guess the bit that I missed off the last question was, I think testing is often an easy cost line to cut. And a lot of people have, you know, there are a lot of counter arguments around the cost, the time and the skills needed to do testing properly. Um, how do you go about kind of creating a business case um, and kind of countering those counter arguments? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that definitely comes up at the time of big projects, especially. I, I certainly hear a line I, I hear a lot is um, we're looking to get into testing, but not not yet because we're developing a new site. Um, we're really focused on that now. We don't want to uh, waste our energy and our efforts. Um, so it sounds nice to say, well, you should test everything, but unless you're on an Amazon kind of scale, that is just not realistic. And it also can be a complete waste of time. A lot of people have been burnt by testing projects that seemed exciting, but dragged or didn't have that much impact. Um, <clears throat> And one of the one of the challenges, I guess, is I would say either do it really well or don't bother at all. Um, you you have to be able to find things that make a big enough impact that you can measure, and the the time it might take to identify a one percent difference. You know, you might have to test for a year or two to get some statistical accuracy on that difference. Whereas if you can hone in on something that's going to make a 3% difference, you might be able to identify that in within weeks. So to the, to the skeptic who isn't sure if they should waste their money on testing right now, I'd actually have a lot of, a lot of sympathy in one sense in that, that <coughs> there definitely are times where, um, if you're only going to kind of, half do it or make them put a tiny bit of effort into it, then it absolutely could be another cost and something that drags things out. Um, the same time, uh, going back to my previous answer, if you, if you are making an investment, then your options really are to, to experiment, to test and find out what works or just to hope for the best. And um, testing, I guess there's there's two way two angles. You can test when the thing is done to find out its impacts and try and fix it then or make the most of it then. But there's also a huge amount, and I think people underestimate how uh, how lean and quick and focused testing can be at the beginning of a project and during that time where you might have endless stakeholder meetings and reviews and opinions going back and forth <clears throat> you could have a fairly lean focused testing team actually out there seeing not just what people think or what people say they'll do but finding out what they'll actually do and uh, i've seen lots of instances where uh, a kind of proof of concept test has been live that's taken days say less than a week to get live much smaller expense than the the 
full investment on a technology project where you're just hoping it works. Um, so yes, it's an investment at the start often, but it can, it might save you the, the effort of wasting the whole budget if the project's going to be a failure. Um, or it might hone in on the bits that matter so that you do still have to have those stakeholder meetings, but you can cut half of them and say, we know this is the bit we want to focus on, or this is where we want to have our investment. Um, and I guess I'd say to the the person saying we're, we're investing all this money right now, we can't be investing it in CRO. And um, you make my life so easy if you bring me in, for instance, after launching a new website. It's all out there. We have to go through piece by piece and we have to build the business case for each change. Whereas involving testing and the expertise around it in the in the ideation stage or in the design stage, um, you you get that expertise. Uh, at the time you can implement it, I guess. Um, just as if you were going to build a big shopping center, put the foundations in, put the windows in, put the displays in, and then build an expert in shopping center design in at the end. Um, that would be absolute madness. You don't want to be knocking down those walls and so on. So if you, if you have a discipline and an expertise around that discipline that's laser-focused on what's going to impact your bottom line, then bring it in while you can get the by far the biggest ROI, which is where you're making those decisions and uh, help them to, yeah, let them help you to minimize your mistakes and maximize your benefits at, at that point. Attract, your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. Let's get into, into some specifics. I think that always helps people. And you've mentioned um, about running proof of concept. And I, I'm a big fan of proof of concept stuff during like feature requirements, planning to influence new platforms when you have lots of stakeholders saying, we want this, this is a must. And trying to see how you can do some of that validation prior to making expensive development decisions. So can you talk us through some examples of like how e-com teams could approach proof of concept and also then like, I guess what tools and skill sets are needed to deliver like you know, anything where you've done it and it's worked. Yeah, sure. Um, another big question. Uh, well, yeah, let me, let's get into some actual examples, I guess. Um, so suppose, suppose you want to expand your delivery options. There's a feeling internally within the team that it would be great to give people uh, a broader range of delivery options. And uh, the, again, there's a belief internally that that will increase conversion because people feel it would appeal to them. That, in many cases, is a complex thing to implement because you're not just adding a few buttons. You've got to change your uh your supplier relationships, your delivery relationships, your infrastructure, your logistics. Um, and I've, I've seen a client uh, who'd, who'd released, done all of this without experimentation, and uh, it, it didn't work. People don't want to think about delivery 
for that long. It's a pain point. They want to go, yeah, that'll do and move on. Whereas giving them this big list of options was really focusing them in and making them consider all the the complications and the expense and so on. Um, so uh, what we did was we uh, we pulled right back and uh, found it to be far more effective to have just a few. Now, what I would advise someone to do in that process is rather than uh, say, oh, we, we can't be doing testing right now. We've got to get this big project out the door. We can't have the expensive testing. We've got to get this out. Is uh, if you have two delivery options, your standard, your free delivery and your premium, and you're saying, oh, but what if we gave people options in the middle? Um, the kind of thing you can do is create those buttons that say, I want somewhere between premium and free. I want this, but not this. Let people select those. And in the short term, what they don't realize is what they're actually getting is premium. So you've not changed any of your infrastructure. You've not had any discussion with your uh, logistics partners, with your warehouse team, or any of that headache. You've not had to bring in all the stakeholders and debate because this is a permanent feature and how do we feel about it and what wording should we use there and does that work and someone thinks you get a better deal there and all that. You just say, right, we've given customers an extra three buttons they can click or tick or whatever. We we have put some time working out how we'd want to make those appealing and what they're actually getting is the better option. So uh, we've got a slight cost in the short term where we're giving them all premium rather than a kind of midpoint in between. So we we might be adding that extra 20p per order. We don't want to run this for a long time because there is that cost. Um, but that's the kind of test that you could have live. Um, no exaggeration, potentially on the day that you have conceived the idea. Um, certainly within a week of conceiving the idea, you could have those other buttons there. And you can be finding out, do people tick them? Do people actually want them? How does conversion compare? And because you're A-B testing it, you're only showing half the people those those buttons. Um, you're not just launching it and then trying to weigh it with other market factors, what the difference is. Um, you're saying, right, we offered people a load more buttons and conversion went down. Thank goodness we didn't spend those months and all that debate and all those commercial relationships and all that effort um, to find out that it doesn't work. Um, so that's a, that's a negative example. Um, a, uh, a, a positive example. Um, I've been working with a client recently and their, their add to basket process had become quite complex and we're starting to hear from users that, oh, this feels like a lot of work, comments like that. Um, now, obviously, they, they have to do the work. We have to find out where they live and when they want it delivered and so on. But the, the hypothesis was that uh, there was, they were seeing too much in one go. It, it was off-putting at that point, and that maybe a lot of that should actually be moved into the checkouts. Now, again, that that's a big project that's not you just don't just phone up the the deft guys and say yeah would you mind just moving all this to the checkout and they say yeah we'll we'll have it done by tuesday that's a proper 
you know, you hear that builder noise where they, they draw a breath and go, Oof. but, but uh, they, they really want you to know that the pain that will, will be involved in that. Um, so he said, well, how do we, how do we test this as a proof concept? How do we find out that if people saw a simpler looking uh, add to basket process, if people landed on the product page and at that point felt this was going to be really easy just here, would they progress? Would they click through? Um, so what we did was rather than go through that, again, that huge technology project of moving and all that thinking about scalability and one, how it work in this situation, what about at Christmas and so on, um, we took all the subsequent steps, little bit of CSS, hid them. So what you see is a really simple product page. And then it's a total short-term hack, but um, I put all of that into a modal. So it was still on the product page. We hadn't had to move anything, change any of the API calls. Um, and it, it, was, it definitely wasn't the, the optimal end solution. But again, this is something that can be built in, in a couple of days, and you can have live, and you can actually say, right, when we show people this vastly stre uh, streamlined experience, do they click those first two buttons at a, at a higher rate than when they could see all the other stuff afterwards? Um, and uh, yeah, this was one that in terms of developing was uh, was months of work, whereas the, the proof of concepts within a couple of days can have something live and can very quickly say, oh yeah, in this area it really does help. And in this area, actually it doesn't as much. So that this is where we want to, want to focus our efforts. Um, yeah, I don't know, James, it was a big question. I don't know if, if you want to guide me as to uh, where you'd like me to focus in next. No, I think I, I think those are some good touch results. I like the idea of the, um, I guess I call it hacking it, where you're not making fundamental operational changes because you're right, the complexity of that will just really piss off stakeholders off. Um, but uh, yeah, I saw an example where somebody wants to do the yeah, notify me for out of stocks and to do that properly end to end with automation is not a simple thing, depending on what your back office systems are, you know, what your email uh, programs are and what they can do. And they just simply just embedded a simple form on the PDP, which, yeah, I don't know whether it was a Google form, whatever it might be, just a cheap form builder with notify me, add your email, bang, off you go and did it all manually and did it on a few project products to check what the appetite was for. And therefore, if they then manually followed up when stock came in, would that have an impact on sales? So yeah, I like that idea of, do you know what? Sometimes you can you can do a manual hack or an automated hack, but you do it cheap and you do it effective. So no, it, it does answer it. And um, so no, that's cool. Um, Paul, I think you, you had a question next, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, Dave, I guess, who should own testing internally for a bigger project? Like, which assuming there's no like CRO manager or dedicated resource, um, who would you typically be working with on this stuff? Um, yes, yeah, a good question. I, I, I can't pretend to be a, an expert in e-commerce team design, but I think in terms of the principle, um, it's experimentation is about helping you to make better decisions. It's about finding out when your decisions are harmful 
are finding out when your decisions have been good and that there's something in there you should make even more of. So the uh, the benefit you get from experimentation is probably directly proportional to how linked it is to the decision makers or the scope of decision that can be experimented on. So uh, I think CRO, it's unfortunate that it has a, a three-letter acronym um, that doesn't even completely make sense, but that's a whole sideline. I think a, a phrase that's often a, an alarm bell for me is, yeah, we just we want to be able to pull another, another lever. And I hear businesses think about SEO, PPC, CRO as these ways of just spending a bit more money to get a bit more traffic or get a bit more conversion. And if if it's treated out in that way, if you have someone more junior saying, yeah, we, we just thought we should get some experimentation in and boost conversion a bit, then your impact is likely to be limited to a bit of copy here or a, uh, you know, a style within a banner or something. Whereas I would argue if experimentation is about making better decisions, then uh, you it should be owned by the people making the most important decisions, certainly the decisions that affect users. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I could list a specific role or a title that should own experimentation, but it needs to be someone who is uh, fully in the mix in terms of how decisions are made, and it needs to be someone... If you're going to do these proof of concepts, they're, um, it, they can be quite alien to a typical team, even if they think we're super agile and so on. Um, even, say, the development process of, of CRO or of an experiment it is very different. So if you're, a, if you're a traditional developer, then you're all about scale and robustness and you might want to spend weeks and weeks developing something that for a proof of concept, you'd actually want to spend days on and have live and have learned and be able to move on. Um, so uh, again, if you're, if you're contact within the company or your decision maker, whoever is owning CRO and experimentation is able to make those quick decisions and say, yeah, we should do this, or yeah, let's get that proof of concept live, um, or yeah, I know uh, this isn't how we normally develop, but it would be so valuable to find that out, and so uh, yeah, let, let's do it, then you're going to have an impact on many magnitudes more. So um, yeah, so I guess it's someone fully in the mix in terms of decisions, and someone with the uh, uh, yeah, the clearance to say um, yeah, or I'll just check with so and so. But yeah, in principle, we want to have that proof of concept live, and let's get it live as quick as possible. Okay, and um, I guess a lot of people see the test inside as part of like a BAU program or stream of work. Um, can you talk us through how you would build Test and Learn into a full replatforming and redesign without blowing loads of budget 
and impacting timeline? Like, what's your recommendation? I think, yeah. So, uh, testing as a as a BAU thing, I guess, reflects that idea that it's a you know a lever to pull. It's kind of a a thing to have, but not when we're making important decisions. This is big boy time now. Let's get the uh, the three lesser acronym stuff out of the way and, and do the serious things. So um, I, I'd i certainly argue very strongly against the, uh, the, the BAU perspective. Um, so if, you, if you're going to try and bake it into a new project, then um, I think the first, the first step I would recommend is break down what do you actually intend to do and why um to to use a phrase that makes some people feel like they're at school what is your hypothesis or what are your hypotheses and give people a, a simple framework that says you know because of this evidence we think changing this will impact this and um i would get people to actually go through the exercise of saying breaking it down at that level what do we intend to do here? And using a, a structure for that's really good because it it means the structure points out the weak ideas rather than you. And um, so while it it can feel like a, a painful meeting or a piece of paperwork, it is really really valuable to get people to lay out their their reasons and their evidence or their lack of evidence. Uh, and not everything has to have evidence. We. Uh, we don't have to be trapped in some kind of data-driven tyranny, but at least if if it is just a feeling that things should be modernised because the competitors look newer than us or we just sort of think we should have a new site, it's still really helpful to get that out there, that, that we don't have the evidence, if that is the case. Um, and, yeah, once you once you've got that framework... You can take a bit more of an objective look and you can separate out the things that are just thrown in there because someone on quite a high wage just suggested them versus the things that there's actually a lot of evidence behind but might not be as, as shiny and as glamorous and but have the potential to have a bigger impact. Um, and then for each of those, um, you, you need to ask the question, well, do we already have such a strong case that we think we'd just be wasting our time trying to refine and build more evidence. Maybe we've just seen it work in some ways. Um, or is it quite weak when, when we look at it objectively, in which case is there a, a proof of concept approach? Is there something we could do? It doesn't just have to be testing, but uh, is there other ways? Is there something in our analytics data that might help us confirm or or not? Um, uh, and in some cases, you, you can't test before as well. But again, it's good to clarify that. So if you say, "Well, yeah, we 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 really believe we want to implement this this new feature," but the functionality is so complex that we really would have to build it in order to be able to then experiment on it. And once we built it, well, we've already got it and we we, we like it, we want it to be live. Um, but in that instance, um, 
just as with my kind of big shopping center example, it's it's so helpful at the start to say to the people building it, by the way, we've got these areas of uncertainty and we'd like to be able to potentially test having it here or having it here. Um, and so that when they're when they're thinking about those foundations and how they create it, they're aware that it might not just be set in stone and used in that exact way. Um, that it might be that people want to be able to test and do that, and there might be considerations in how you uh, how you code it. Um, there might be uh, considerations uh, in terms of where your API calls are. There are often things that limit what you can do on kind of rapid client side testing. Uh, so yeah, I guess fundamentally, it's breaking down. What are we actually doing here? What's our evidence? What's our hypothesis? Acknowledging that uncertainty because we we don't necessarily know what impact they'll have. And then for each of them being deliberate in either saying, we want to test this now, or we want to be prepared to test this, or uh, we think this is a high priority, we think this is a lower risk. Um, and with that process as well, you can even then bake in how are we going to monitor it if there is that uncertainty? Do we have the tracking in place? What if that assumption's wrong? Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I hate excess meetings. I think I work in this field because I get to get on with stuff and make an impact. So I'm, I'm really not someone who advocates for excess process and meetings and paperwork, but I think boiling down your changes into what are we doing and why and what's our plan based given we don't know for certain what will happen. Um, it should be an enormously valuable process um, in, in and of itself and prepares you to make the most of experimentation. Hypersonics helps e-commerce companies make more profit every day. This AI-driven platform delivers recommendations for pricing and inventory that lead to bigger profits. Visit hypersonics.ai forward slash podcast to get a free trial. I, I think that point about setting the expectations of developers about where you might want to go testing in the future, that, that's a really good one to pull out here, actually, because you might not have the time frame to do test and validation during a build, depending on what the some businesses have a, a fixed launch, like, you know, they're going to a new market, the new platform's got to be ready by then, and actually that would preclude real sophisticated testing, but actually and knowing that where you might want to go. So you make sure you pick the right tools or apps that will support that process. So I think that's a, that's a good thing to pull out to people. Um, I've got one specific use case. I'd love to hear you talk about how you would guide people through um, testing. So this is, and I've seen this a few times, the project, there's a big design piece done. They've like completely redesigned the user journeys, uh, like navigation, you name it. Everyone's massively excited about the new design. It's all signed off from brand point of view. Site's in UAT, and then the team gets a bit nervous, and they're like, Christ, we've totally rechanged the site, and we, we haven't really put enough data thinking into this. How would you bring testing into the process to help them identify any deal breakers? Bearing in mind that they can't, it's too late to do baking in from the start. This is a, what can you do on a site's in UAT just to see that there's no absolutely egregious you know, red flags to improve the chance of success and launch, but it needs to be light and set and, you know, that very light proof of concept, easy testing. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly if you're at that point 
and it's not driven by user insight, you, you're probably right to have the jitters. Um, uh, I think it's uh, people want to build a site that they're proud of, uh, and that's very understandable. But you're uh, one thing I very often say to clients is you're among the worst people in the whole world to know what it's like to use your sites. Um, your typical user might give 30 seconds or six minutes or whatever thought to your site, whereas you've given, you know, days, months, years, you know inside out what your value proposition is, what your products are, where to find them. So um, I'd, I'd probably affirm those jitters to start with if uh, if it really is an opinion-driven launch. Um I think that's where, uh, at the start, I was talking about the the expertise that naturally comes through testing, through endlessly having your ideas validated or not, and going back to user data, new hypotheses, new testing. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, I think one of the, the buzz kind of themes at the moment in social media is Testing's just a process. You never know if you're wrong or right and so on. And I I totally buy in that testing can surprise you, but what I don't buy into is that working in testing long-term uh, can't give you a much more honed instinct into what, what will make a difference. So uh, one of the first things I do is, is get people that run tests day in, day out to have a look at your site, certainly if, we, if we're pretty last minute and there's not that much you can do, then um, you learn through testing that, for instance, stakeholders can worry a huge amount about the homepage. If it's below the fold on the homepage, unless and you're an e-commerce site with a broad range of products, I don't know that I've ever seen that make a significant impact on conversion. Whereas if your jitters are about the wording you use to describe delivery, then yes, absolutely have those jitters because over and over again through testing, I've seen that that is an area that's a massive red flag and you should lose sleep if you've re redesigned that whole section based on what what you want and what you how you want to be proud of it. Um, the the next thing I do is is get some actual users to see the sign. Hopefully you're doing user testing, but um, again, I would I would get user testing run by people who are laser-focused on conversion. Um, there's a great depth of stuff people are interested in, in, in UX and so on, um, but your jitters at that point are really about what's going to happen to our metrics when we put this live. So I would get experiment focused people who are home through that process to to do user testing across the site and pick out further red flags from that kind of combination of their experience and what users are saying um and then uh, something something i've seen i've i've helped in and, and it's been really effective is if you're able um you can put that if that uat site is is effectively ready to go, then you can host that on a subdomain and rather than launching it to everyone, you can 
split test a small percentage of your traffic to that new site. And that might make you nervous, but it's it's still a smaller impact than putting it live to everyone. Um, and you can't do that for too long, um, or that really does become a, a weird user experience. And there are uh, there's some trade-offs in giving people that strange experience of having a different site and then the old site, maybe if you turn it off. But they didn't care nearly as much as you think they do. As long as they can find their product and buy it, then the impact of that will be fairly small. Um, and if you're going to do that, what you want is to decide in advance how you're going to measure it because uh, so many people have so much data and they it, it's not that they don't have data, it's they don't know where to look. So you ideally want you, you're tracking. Um, yeah, another key point, your tracking needs to be spot on, not an afterthought, not something that gets rushed out and be put in place a week after the site goes live. But if you're going to do that kind of A-B comparison, then you you not you want not just good tracking but comparable tracking. So you want an idea of what's a typical journey through your funnel on your current site, and you need to think in advance how are we going to compare that? How are we going to have the funnel on the new site? Um, and I guess on those areas that you flagged up either from your uh, your own sense of what might be dangerous or. Uh, testing experts sense based on their experience, hopefully backed up by user data as well from uh, user testing on the site. You can have those areas that you think are dangerous, um, potentially just temporarily. You might, you might go overboard, but you want to track loads of stuff. Uh, you want to be able to go something unexpected is happening here. What's going on? And you want to you want to dig into that there. Uh, Again, it's something I could ramble about for a for a long time. So I'll I'll stop there and let you uh, uh, probe where where you uh, want to go. Right. Um. Well, last question. Um. I guess the big topic on a lot of people's minds around uh, CRO, and I've been asked this a lot, but I'm probably not qualified to answer it. Certainly not to the level you are. Um, given your experience with SMEs and the more enterprise brands you've worked with, um, which solutions do you think people should be looking at um, after the sunsetting of Google Optimize? And how does it differ uh, based on level of brand or retailer? Sure, yeah. So what what tools should we be using for experimentation? Um, I actually, I don't think tools are nearly as important as understandably the tool providers make them out. Um, I think for for a long time, um, what you really need to run an experiment, if it's um, if it's server-side, is JavaScript that's served really quickly. Um, so you can serve your test fast and make those changes without people seeing a visible flicker. Um, so you don't want something that's so slow that you see the page briefly and then you see the change version. So that's fundamental. Um, you you need to consider your cookie um, system. So if you have a, a fairly strict cookie barrier that doesn't let any tool fire until you've clicked OK, then that potentially means you're going to see one version of the site, then click OK, 
Then your test code implements, <clears throat> suddenly everything changes, and that really could skew user behavior because that that is a weird experience. Um, so if if that's a concern, the one provider um, uh, I've worked with managed to develop a, a a way of getting around that is convert convert dot com, and they will. Um, they will let you kind of customize their setup so that you serve the change before you set a cookie. And then it's only after users click accept that they're then recorded as being part of that change. So uh, that's a fairly critical one, but I'm sure other tool providers are, are catching up on that. Um, once you start to get into the, the dreamy world of server-side testing and using feature flags on and off and so on, then um, one, I'd only do that once you're really making the most of client-side testing because uh, server-side testing is much slower. Whatever anyone will tell you in reality, you, you, you're much more limited. And um, to make a significant change, there's a lot more work involved. You have to be scalable and so on. Um, and I, I don't think I really have a this is the go-to tool for server side because it's so dependent on your on your tech stack. Um, but if you if you're starting out in this field or you're currently using Google Optimize and want to know where to switch, then um, I'd probably carry on with Google Optimize uh, as as long as you can as new things and new offers come out. I'd certainly give Convert a look. They've worked well for me. But for anyone spending a lot of time on this, I'd encourage you to um, spend your money on experienced optimizers and specialist test developers and not worry too much about your tools. Yeah, I think that I think that's really good advice because when you're doing it at scale, the the process. I mean, obviously, you have to have the technology that can deliver what you want to do, but the process and the process control and the discipline is massively, massively important. Um, Paul, that's, that's gone through all the questions, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time to come on today and share your insights and knowledge. If anyone's got any questions, they want to probe you more, whether it's on the technology or the process, or if they've got a project where they want, might want to sound you out, how do they reach out? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, you you can find me, uh, you can just Google Dave Mullen Experiments or CRO and shoot put me there, but you can also go to datainspires.com and uh, that'll just take you straight to my LinkedIn profile and feel free to connect. Um, especially if you put a note when you connect saying you'd like to chat, then um, I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up fairly quickly. And yeah, always, always good to meet new people and uh, discuss these things. Cool. Excellent. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Yeah, and I hope people have enjoyed it. If you've got any questions, do ask. Um, and thanks for listening, keeping your open for our next episode. We drop one every week. Do subscribe if you haven't already, and we'd love that rating on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you are watching and listening. Take care, everybody. For more information on this topic, head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts. To discuss a project, or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail, please reach out to myself, James Gerd, or my co-host, Paul Rogers, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening, and keep your ears peeled for the next episode.